I learned something this morning. I didn't know that, Jenny, I didn't know that you were an extrovert. I thought you were. No. No. Proud of you. Good job doing missions. And she had to fill in uh, not only last week, but this week as well. So good work. I think our mission committee is either away or sick, or it's been a tough week on them for some reason. So, Well, it's uh, good to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, um, you're a little behind. I'll just tell you that right up front. You're, you've missed out on a lot. We've uh, been working through 2 Corinthians now for, seems like months, and it has been. And uh, we're on chapter 12, but don't worry. You can go back and catch up pretty quick, and hopefully um, you'll, you'll catch on to where we're at in 2 Corinthians. Uh, the more I've read it this week, the more I was studying this week, I, I kind of, in, in chapter 12, I see Paul's heart coming out more and more and his love for that church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a perfect church, right? No. No, it wasn't. It was a tough church. It was in a great area, though, right? Great location. No, right? It was tough. Culturally, it was a very tough place. It was a very spiritual place, almost like the area that uh, we were looking at this morning, our missions moment in uh, Central Asia. That particular video brought to mind uh, that most likely is an area where Jared and Heather may be heading up, my son and daughter-in-law, uh, next year. And so, uh, again, that's dear to me. And the same way, they have to be careful of you know, who they let know go, and their faces are blocked out now on video and things like that. So uh, those closed countries are tough, tough places to minister to. So the church in Corinth um, had some struggles, had some things going on, and Paul was writing letters to correct them. And, you know, we come to this, what number letter is this? Three or four, right? Yeah, it's not the, the second letter. There's some time that's gone by. And the church has changed a little bit, but yet some of the same problems are there. And Paul addresses them. Um, Paul has a great relationship with them, but it got strained. And we learned early on, right, that relationship was strained when Paul said he was going to stop by and see them, yet God led him to go by them and go to Macedonia and then back again without stopping by. And some people questioned him, created some doubt. As a leader, that's one of the worst things that can happen is when someone creates doubt around them because then they start to, everyone starts looking, you focus, and you can find things pretty quickly. And Paul's no different. He comes under question, his authority. You'll see that even in chapter 12. He's still reestablishing himself in, some, in many ways uh, against his critics. We also learned that Paul wanted to bring comfort to them, right? And we were given comfort for ourselves, right? Well, yes, but what else would that comfort? To give it out to others. Yep. Yep. God gives us things to give to others, right? That old saying, right? God's not going to give it to you unless he can get it through you, and that can apply to many things. God allows things to happen so that we can give it out to others, and we can connect, or we can relate, or we can have empathy, compassion, or to help others. Paul also goes on in this letter, as we've been working through, right? He talks about being an ambassador, ambassador for Christ. And that's easy, right? No, no, it's difficult. It's a struggle to be an ambassador for Christ because quite often we get discouraged. We, we start looking inwardly and we say, man, I'm not worthy. Kind of that miry pit, that, that, that being stuck in the mud. Of course, you've just given Brandon more ammo, Joe, just so you know, because he's always telling me that I have a Ford and not a Chevy, and so 
and the reason that I'm stuck most of the time. So You should see Brandon smile back there. He's like, I got one on Charlie. I got him now. Of course, Brandon has to work on my truck often, so he knows it well. But being an ambassador is not an easy thing. It's not, not something that's simple. And again, it takes work. It takes effort on our part to be deeper in, and connected in with God all the time. And yet we not only have ourselves as a hindering block, but we also have a devil, right? Paul addresses it very plainly in the letter and says, you have a devil that is scheming on ways to trip you up, right? He's thinking of ways to get you distracted, we talked a little bit about that, about keeping our focus, right? Keeping focus on God, on the mission, not getting distracted. In today's world, that's very easy. There are so many things that want to distract us, take us off point, right? The busyness. And I think in, in many ways, the Internet's a good thing, but in many ways, it can be a huge distraction. I can get distracted by it. And information overload, right? And then you have to discern and sort out you know, what's truth? And then all of a sudden, you spent hours and hours on the computer when I was supposed to be doing something else. And so those are all things that, that ravel into this. And, and Paul is calling them back to that focus. And again, there's more than we can go over this morning, but I do want to get into chapter 12. But if you haven't read it in a while, read through 2 Corinthians and uh, remind yourself of some of those things that Paul's teaching because they apply today just as much as they did then. We're going to start in chapter 12 this morning, and 12 has that background where Paul's defending himself, and Paul has this plan to get back to that church. He misses them. You can see his longing for them, but he wants to arrive there with things in good shape, and so you'll see that coming through here, but Paul's going to talk about himself a little bit more here, not in so much defense of himself, but into reminding them that he is in the apostle and that he does care for them as their leader. So in 12, verse 1 says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Any idea who Paul's talking about here? Who said? Somebody, somebody, Steve, good job. First, first go, because it's kind of weird to, to talk about yourself in that third person, but, but Paul does it here. But it is Paul, Paul himself. Again, he's not saying it so much uh, in a pride way, but he's saying, hey, I spent time with the Lord. Right? Therefore, I can be called an apostle. He had that relationship. Interesting enough, I was, I was studying this out a while back, and even this week as I was reminded, I looked at it, and commentaries, I'll just tell you, they go all over the place with this one. These are a couple of verses that they go, go all over the place, and there's many different ideas about the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, all these things. Is he in the body? Is he out of the body? Does he actually go there? And there's some confusion around it. And I look at it and say, they're getting focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on the place, but they're not focused on the fact that Paul had an encounter with God. Jesus and God, and Jesus and God, Jesus and Paul conversed together. Again, whether it was through a vision or a place or a, a moment in the body, out of the body, that's not the important part. The important part is that Paul spent time with Jesus. 
Again, he's not saying to brag, but he's just saying, hey, that's where I get my authority from. There's nothing wrong with that. And again, it's fine for commentaries to argue those out and look at them, but again, the, the focus here is on who Paul is in Christ and where he gets his authority from. He goes on to say in this, he says, And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up in paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. Interestingly enough, sometimes God doesn't allow everything to be seen, right? He, he holds back information from us. And there's a whole host of reasons why that could be, right? One, we may not need to know, or it may cause harm if we did know. And so we have to trust the Father with those things. And Paul had some of that information that he says, I'm just not permitted to tell. God's said, no, it's not okay to, to release that yet. And I'm, I'm okay with that, but it can cause some people to stumble. Interestingly enough, and just a, a side note here, Paul's experience never outweighed his beliefs or the Scriptures. Right? He had an experience, but he's not saying that everyone's going to have that experience, or we all have to have that experience. Right? Experience does not outweigh God's Word or God's truth. Verse 5 kind of tells where his heart is with this. It says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Because of these surpassing great revelations. Right? Paul's saying, I don't want that to be my mark. I don't want that to be how I'm known. Because I had this great experience, or I, I had this moment in time, and that defines who I am. Can I tell you, it's also a great way to identify a false teacher or a false prophet, because quite often that's the case with them, right? They talk about their experience. Their experience becomes the most important thing, and everything else falls by the wayside. I call it the sifter. It's kind of that grid, right? It's, it's a good way to look at things and say, well, wait a minute. Are they talking about their experience over their, their God? Becomes who they are, becomes all they're, they're known by. Again, not denying the experience, but that is, there's so much more in Christ. So Paul has this struggle, and he's, he's being actually humble in this. He's talking about boasting, but on the flip side, he's saying, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by this, and in my weakness, I praise God. He also has this other problem in his life, this other thing that is keeping him humble as well, not only his position or his words, but he has this thorn in the flesh here. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And again, commentaries go wild with this one as well, and there's different theories and what that thorn in my flesh is, and is it an actual person, is it a demon, whatever it is, right? But we lose sight of what's the purpose, right? Paul sees it as a benefit to him at this point. This helps me stay humble. It keeps me from being conceited. 
It's one of those uh, leadership traits that you almost need to strive for, but it's hard to get many times as a leader. Right? Not getting too far out ahead of yourself. I can tell you from experience, it doesn't work well. You tend to fall every time. And so that relying upon God is important. It's key to not only the leaders, but to, to every one of us as believers. Who we rely upon. So Paul has this thorn, right? This thing that keeps him humble. And I love verse 8, because it's not that he didn't struggle with it, right? Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Right? This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, right? He's seen a lot. He's done a lot. Yet he is struggling to find joy in this thorn, whatever it is, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. It's, it's something that's keeping him. He's struggling with it, and, and he doesn't want it. And so he's pleading. Again, that's a strong word here in the Greek, but it's like it's almost crying out, like, just take it away from me. I can't bear it anymore. Right? But, remember what but does, right? But cancels out everything after that point. But despite my pleading, despite my, my affliction here, Paul says, but Jesus says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You could camp out there for a while, right? That's a, that are some great verses to, to kind of sit on to, as a reminder. You know, Joe, you mentioned like getting stuck. This is one of those places that will help you in those times when you're stuck. This is Christ saying this to Paul. It says, my grace is sufficient. Right? I've got you here for a reason, but I still got you. Right? I see these verses as that continual pointing on who do we really need to rely upon. Can I tell you, if you rely upon anyone here on this earth, person-wise, they're probably going to let you down may come as a shock to you, but if you rely on me too much, you're, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to rely, I'm, if you rely on your spouse, they're going to disappoint you as well. People will let you down from time to time. Not intentionally, but it happens. But God will never let you down. And he wants to be that person that we rely upon. I think many times we get in those situations just so God can, can remind us of that. Right? Just humble yourself and rely upon the Lord. Verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul did not have it easy. Many of you don't have it easy. I understand that. It's difficult, and there's all sorts of different things that afflict all of us. But I love how Paul finally gets to the point where he can flip it, right? These weaknesses help make me strong to, because of Christ. Christ is the one that's doing that work. He's the one that enables me to continue on. He's the one that spared my life, Paul's saying. He's the one that's 
healed me to the point where I can still preach the word. I can still go on. I'm relying upon God's strength. Great verses, great reminders. Paul goes on again here. Again, he's talking to this church in Corinth and he's reminding them and there's this whole argument of of the foolishness of the people that are discrediting Paul. And so he goes on here in verse 11. He says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been committed to you, commended to you, by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. There's a lot of rhetorical questions and some sarcasm in there as well, but Paul is saying, hey, if you compare me to these other apostles, or here he says super apostles, like somehow there's a ranking among them, he says, I'm inferior to them, I don't match up, but yet I do match up. I do match up in the way that I've loved you, the way that I've taught you, the way that I spent time with you, the way I've ministered to you. I do match up to these so-called super apostles. Hard to miss here, but most likely these apostles that were causing the problems were Jewish believers or maybe just Judaizers that were trying to pull people back, but they were people that were calling Paul's teaching into question and trying to discredit him, trying not to... Um, have him teach any longer to be that super guy that he was thought out to be, especially among the, the Corinthians. And so Paul is trying to correct that and trying to say, hey, I still love you. I still want to be your pastor. I still want to be connected to you. I've earned that at this point. Now comes the warning. All right, now 14 says, Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will, will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? So Paul's coming for a visit, and he wants it to be a good visit. He wants it to be a, a, a time of, of welcoming him back, restoration, and that, that loving visit. And so he's starting to set that up, and he's, he's saying, hey, I'm coming back to you, and I'm coming to you as a parent, but I want it to be a relationship as like a family. And so he uses that example. He uses that as a backdrop in that. And he says, I'll just continue to give out to you. I'm not asking for anything in return. Right? Paul's asked them for things in the past, certainly. Right? He, he asked them to welcome Titus. He asked them to, to give to the church in Jerusalem, the, that offering to collect. But for himself, he's not asking anything just to receive him in. And uh, again, the sarcasm here in the end says, if I love you more, will you love me less? That's not usually how that works, Right? Verse 16, be that as it is, I I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? 
I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent your, our brothers with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Again, Paul's playing with them a little bit here, and he's, he's getting their attention. He says, you know, hey, did I catch you? Did I catch you in this or, or not? He knew their response already, right? They had welcomed Titus. They had done a good job with that, and Paul expected the same when he got there. And obviously that argument of tricking or costing, right? Paul's, again, that's part of that doubt that Paul was taking from them was a burden to them, was a draw upon them. And Paul's arguing that, that against that. Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in everything we do, dear friends, it's for your strengthening. I have that underlined in my Bible, right? The, Paul is revealing his motive, right? He says, I've been doing all this. I've been talking to you. I've been pleading with you. And I've spent this time with you. And he says, it's for your strengthening, right? He loves him so much that he wants him to be better. He wants him to continue to grow. He wants to be proud of them for the, the church that they are becoming. It's one of the greatest things that if you're discipling someone, right, just to see them grow, right? Even if it's just a little bit, just some growth, some, some momentum, because quite often we don't, we don't always see it, right? And it can become disheartening. And Paul is, is looking forward to that, that point of the growth in the church, that the church in Corinth is growing a little bit, that it's, it's not having the same struggles that it used to have. That there's progress. And Paul's saying, hey, I did that for your strengthening, for you just to watch you grow. Yet, he still has doubt. Verse 20 says, for I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. Right? There's hope, but then what's the reality? And what's going to happen, you know? Are we going to be where we, we want to be? Or are we going to be lacking? Or is something going to be out of balance? Paul struggled just like the rest of us, right? We, we don't always know how it's going to turn out. Quite often we invest in someone, we don't, we don't know how they're going to receive it, right? Many times they still have to make choices with those. We can help, we can guide, and we can suggest, we can give our advice, we can... Pray, we can do all those things, but at the end of the day, they have to make those decisions. And so it may not always turn out as we wanted or as we thought. And so Paul has that same concern here for the church. Here comes a list of things that he hopes he's not going to find, right? He says, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Any one of these on this list would be pretty rough, right? I thought of this as a pastor, if you had to deal with this in a church, these are pretty tough things to deal with in many ways, right? Jealousy, you know, discord. Paul's all about unity, trying to keep the church together. In fact, he's always trying to connect not only the church in Corinth, but the churches around that area, and then even beyond that into other areas. I think of even ourselves here. We're a part of an Alliance Church, but trying to stay connected, even in our area, can be difficult at times. So 
discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Fits of rage is pretty tough to deal with. I know when someone's been mad at me and they're, they're just out of control, right? Sometimes you just want to step away, and sometimes that's the best thing you can do, right? But any one of these things, slander, gossip, they're all destructive. And that's what Paul's fearing. I don't want to come and find that. I don't want to have to deal with that when I come. Underline all this, he's hoping the church is healthy enough that they're already dealing with it before he gets there. That's the hope. Remember when the kids were younger and I was working in a warehouse, I would get a phone call from PJ every once in a while. And it wasn't often, but every once in a while I'd get that phone call and she'd be like, your sons are driving me nuts. And she says, I can't deal with them right now. She says, one of them may not make it if I deal with them. And she says, when you get home, you've got to deal with the boys. And I was always like, oh. After working all day, to be honest, it's the last thing in the world I want to do is go home and have to deal with two boys and their mother at this point who's lost it and had a, a tough time with them, right? And again, it was my responsibility. We, we agreed upon that. And again, the boys were at an age where it was dad's time to discipline. But it's never nothing that I wanted to do. And I secretly, all afternoon, was hoping like, oh, man, maybe this got worked out. Maybe PJ calmed down and she was able to work with him. But every once in a while, nope. Dad had to come in and lay down the law. And uh, it was never fun, never something I wanted to do, but it was necessary. And I think Paul's the same way, right? He's hoping this will all be taken care of before he gets there. He doesn't want to have to come in and make judgments. And again, he's had to expel someone already in this church. He doesn't want to go through that again. Discipline is necessary, but it's not enjoyment, nor should it be. And so that's the, the, the backdrop to this. And in verse 21, it says, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Right? Paul's saying, I hope things are better when I get there. I hope there's not some of these problems still going on. Right? Hopefully they've already come under conviction and they've repented. That's the goal, right? That's, that's always the goal, right? You don't want to get to that point where you have to inflict a discipline. You want them to come under conviction themselves and repent and come back. And so that you get that person now who's coming humbly before you and say, hey, I messed up. Please forgive me. Bonus point here, but that's the mark of a Christian, right? It's the mark of a good church that's willing to, being able to, willing to say, I've messed up, please forgive me. It solves a lot of these problems before they get to be those problems, right? Like I said, that's a bonus point. But it's always there. And that ends chapter 12. And again, Paul's, next week we're going to look at kind of the last. Paul's going to plug the, the rest of the letter together. He's going to pull it all together and hand it off to the church before he comes and visits. So if you want to read ahead, chapter 13 will give you uh, that closing and that, that wrap-up and kind of a summation of the whole letter. Remember, this was written as a whole and would have been read as a whole. Um, for good or bad, we've done it in chapters throughout the weeks here, and we've done now... 12 weeks of this, and so we've come to this point. But I want to leave you with a couple of questions this morning 
Uh, first and foremost, the most important one is, who do you rely upon? Who do you rely upon? Right? And we talked about, if we rely on anyone else but God, we are probably going to be let down. We're going to be disappointed. We're putting it into the wrong person. The second question is, kind of goes off of that, and it, it can be helpful, but are you growing spiritually? Are you growing spiritually? As a church body, it's, 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 we need to be growing. We need to be um, growing in our relationship with Christ. We need to be growing with our relationship with each other. But are you growing? And then, as you know, I never preach perfect sermons, so I don't have a third point. All I've got is those two questions for you this morning. It's an old pastor's joke, right? You have to have three points, and you repeat the three points. But I just want to leave you with those two. Uh, reflective, but also encouragement. Right? Rely. Who do you rely upon, and are you growing? Bow with me, please. Well, Heavenly Father, we know that we are in need of you. Lord, forgive us those times when we get ahead of you or that we rely upon ourselves, Lord. Or that we rely upon someone, Lord, and, and we put too much into that, Lord, and we are disappointed. Lord, we also ask that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you, Lord, that we would go deeper. That we would be in step with you, step by step this week. Lord, help us in our relationships, help us in our walk, help us to be those ambassadors that you've called us to be. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.